You're listening to Sons of Thunder, a podcast that brings you faith, fellowship, and fire, giving you the spiritual weapons you need to do battle for the Lord. And now, please welcome your hosts, the Dynamic Deacon and the Man on Fire. Welcome back to another episode of Sons of Thunder. This is your co-host, the man on fire, John Sablon, and I welcome to the show, after a long little break, <laughs> my brother, <laughs> Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, the dy- dynamic deacon. What's up, brother? How you doing, John? Always good to be with you, my friend. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Now, I mean, our listeners are probably saying, man, they started this thing and then they just fell off the face of the <laughs> earth. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm sure they probably recognize and realize that we've been going through some things. Yeah, Deacon. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, from a, from a global pandemic to, um, now a, a nation that's kind of broken and, um, just hurting right now in, in the context of, um, the different protests, riots, you name it, but really, um, the focus on the sin of racism and, mm-hmm. um, so I, you know, we wanted, we talked about this as we we're preparing for the show. Um, obviously it's just a check-in first and foremost, right? I mean, I think this is critical for us as a, the body of Christ, you know, you and I checking in, Hey, how are things going? Um, and also for our listeners out there checking in with them and, and, and vice versa, right? To, it's always important, um, as we try to, uh, support one another and encourage one another to check in with each other, right? Now that everybody's got a remote, remote from, or remote, work remotely from home, Zoom in this and Skyping this and WebExing this, they need to be able to, um, you know, be able to stay humanly connected to one another, which is probably part of our problem. So how, how have you been, Deacon? How's, how are things going with you? Yeah, they're going, they're going all right. You know, it's uh, just strange to be home for this long without being on the road, <laughs> right. you know? Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been, but it's been good. Like I said, being home with the kids and, um, getting a nice break and getting some times to, uh, time to revamp some things and do more reading, mm-hmm. you know, more spiritual, um, engagement and things like that, you know, so it's been, it's been good, but you know, it, it, I, I need to get back to work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For somebody who you was, know? somebody who was traveling yeah. over 200,000 miles a year, um, you'd be lucky if you've got 200 on your, on your, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, just from a financial standpoint, you know, it's time to, uh, get rolling here again soon. Mm-hmm. The God has been good. It's really been a time of, for me, um, as a time of, you know, taking a step back and, and reflecting and, um, you know, taking the time to look objectively. Am I, am I heading the right direction? Am I doing the right things? This is possible. Am I honoring God in everything that I'm doing mm-hmm. oh, and trusting God, especially during this time, you know, oh, yeah. really put my trust in God and not worrying about, um, you know, uh, uh, providing for the family. No, God is going to take care of that because he, you know, he, he always has, he's always, always been faithful. And, um, so it's, uh, as long as I have that, that love and that trust, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to just put my head down and keep moving forward. So, you know, you know, everything, it's actually been going good and, and, and it's been a blessing. Obviously, um, uh, you know, we've touched base um, previously before this and, um, you know, we, we're counting our blessings as well. We're very fortunate. You know, God, God has provided. But, I, you know, you know, the, 
the encouragement just listening to you speak that way, that trust in God, which I imagine a lot of our fellow brethren out there are having a difficult time doing with given what they see in the world. Um, what, what, what would you say, Deacon, as we, you know, as we kind of start this episode, what has been your, I, I, I'm thinking back to even your first, one of the, you know, how you started to do um, your daily doses and your weekly webinars. I remember you kind of opening your heart on one of those about just, you started, you know, with all of this, and this is before the protests and everything that's going on. This was with the coronavirus stuff coming out, how you were like, honestly saying, you know, I was mad, you know, at at first. Um, What's been kind of your uh, coping mechanisms as you have kind of weathered somewhat that storm and then now going into a new storm um, with regards to all of this, just having to be at home and, and of course, financial situations change and whatnot. What's been your kind of saving grace? Well, I think for me, it's just uh, recognizing that um, everything happens for a reason, that what's happening now is part of God's plan. Mm-hmm. We might not always understand it, uh, uh, but, I, you know, just for me, it's just, just rolling with it. You know, because I, I figure if I, if I just sit here and just worry and just get upset, and I mean, what what good does that do? Mm-hmm. It does it does no good. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing I can do to control. There's nothing I can do to change it. Um, God is in control, so I say, you know what? I just have to have that reckless abandon, that childlike mm-hmm. trust in God's providence. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I've done. I just, you know, you know, I'm not going to worry. I'm just going to just put my head down and move forward. And it just had been su- it's such peace mm-hmm. uh, with with that uh, with that mindset, with that attitude, with that. You know, with that strength of heart, just to just have the courage, just like the Blessed Mother, be it done unto me according to thy word. Right. You know, whatever you say, Lord, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm with it. You yeah. Know? And, uh, so I think for me, uh, getting through the coronavirus, that's been the saving grace. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I have the loving support of the wife and kids always helps, too. Right. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's, I, uh, you know, I think it's it's the same. I would say the same uh, respond the same way. You know, I think it's. Um, Trust is going to be definitely uh, the biggest challenge for us all right now because you're trying to say, okay, God, nothing happens outside of your permissive will. So what is it that we should be paying attention to during this moment? What? And I think that's going more inward for me, especially somebody who's an extrovert, counter you, right, introvert. So <laughs> what is it, Lord, that you're trying to teach me during this time? Of course, the world. What are you trying to teach the world? But specifically, I can't control the world. So what is it that I need to be focusing on? What is it that you're trying to teach me in my own heart that I can control and that I need to learn from just all of this? Um, And so that's been good. And of course, the same thing with just uh, I would echo just having that more time with the family. And, you know, we're talking about a lot of things, um, which which includes the the world around us, um, you know, our home, our family. You know, what can we do to affect change in a positive way? And ultimately, how can we bring the gospel uh, to, to the rest of the world? specific to our each of our call each of our charisms and whatnot so yeah it's been it's been good um you know as good as it can be during these times so we wanted to talk about you know i think it's important um for our listeners out there know that both of you are of of different ethnic uh backgrounds right so um both island island bros for sure um (laughs) one pacific one caribbean um but you know, given the, the state of what we're dealing with, um, specific to kind of the, the sin of racism as we as we entered into this episode, 
and then just the unrest, right? And, and we see so much division as a country, or at least this is what we're seeing, right? And we're feeling that from what we're seeing. And everybody has their own experiences of that. But also, I, I would say we've been, we were already experiencing this within the church, you know, and uh, as far as the division is concerned and whatnot. But we wanted to bring, be, bring this topic of just being a light in the darkness because it's going to be easy to be tempted to despair and to be discouraged. But as we alluded to, Christ has already won, right? Christ is victorious. We just need to figure out, okay, what's our part in all of this? And so how have you been dealing with this, um, what, we've, what we've seen with the, you know, the, the death of George Floyd and um, this whole, this kind of movement to address this, and we're just seeing everything around us unfolding really quick? Well, again, my initial uh, feeling is just like the coronavirus, mad. Yeah. <laughs> For a couple of reasons. Um, uh, one, because of my background in, in law enforcement, 23 years. And uh, I mentioned before that from 2002 to 2008, I served on the board of the Department of Public Safety Standards and Training for the state of Oregon. And that's the agency that oversees the training of police officers mm-hmm. and firemen and parole, probation and corrections for the state. And I did that for six years. Two different governors appointed me to that position. I was chair of the board my last year. So I am intimately familiar with how police officers are trained. And then myself, having had to go hands-on with people, having to put people on the ground, having to mm-hmm. fight with people on occasion, having to restrain people, there are certain techniques that you're taught in order to, and, and the reason why you're taught those techniques is to keep the person safe, to keep yourself safe, to keep everyone else around them mm-hmm. safe when, when this person is out of control and has a tendency to hurt themselves or others. And so you use these restraint techniques long enough to get the person secure, to get them in handcuffs, to get them controlled. And once they're controlled, then everything stops. Mm-hmm. That's the end of it. Mm-hmm. But what I what I didn't, what, what upset me so much about the, uh, uh, the George Floyd situation was that first of all, kneeling on someone's neck is not a technique that, that's taught at any police academy anywhere. Mm. That is not a technique that's taught. Second of all, he was already handcuffed and under control. Mm-hmm. Already cuffed, already under control. There was no reason to put any more to put any body part on him. You know, and I want to say something here because some people have been demonizing George Floyd. Well, he had uh these drugs in his system, he was uh uh positive for uh coronavirus. You know, and, and he had to, these things in his background, assault or whatever. So what? So what? Mm-hmm. It, 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 we're all sinners in need of God's mercy. Everybody has skeletons in their closet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that the, because he had that background doesn't uh, uh, mean that he cannot. he's not a person that's treated with dignity and respect. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that you kneel on someone's neck for almost nine minutes, especially when they're calm and under control. No matter what kind of background they have, there's nothing you can say or do to justify that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so uh, so as from a law enforcement perspective, I was very very upset. Um, basically, watching a homicide take place right in front of you mm-hmm. is basically what it was. The second reason I was upset because um, you know as a as, a, as a, a black man brought back some you know some memories for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and look, uh, here's what I mean. You know, we're talking about racism and prejudices. Sometimes those two things get um, talked about interchangeably. Mm-hmm. But when I mean, when I say prejudice, I mean it's a, it's a, a preconceived notion, preconceived opinion or idea 
that's not based on reason or even actual fact or experience, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and, and that kind of prejudicial thinking leads to stereotyping. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the, the, the classic examples that I use is that um, uh, people, I say, well, where are you from? I'm from Newark, New Jersey. Oh, Newark. Well, you must have been, you must be poor. Mm. No, hold on. H how do you extrapolate? I'm from Newark, New Jersey, therefore I must be poor. Because mm. you have in your mind this, this prejudice, you have this prejudiced idea that people from Newark, New Jersey are poor. Mm -hmm. Or if they see me, and it's, oh, you went to Notre Dame. It's a, what position did you play? <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm a pretty big black guy, you know, and they think, oh, you must play football. Mm -hmm. I never played football in my life. <laughs> you know, so I got there an academic scholarship. Why didn't they ask me, what did you study? Mm -hmm. Instead of what, you see what I'm saying? I mean, that, yeah. so that kind of stuff. Um, being pulled over by a cop once, you know, get out of the car, put your hands on the car, turn the car off. And, I, I, and wasn't doing anything. I don't drink. Wasn't speeding, nothing like that. And then um, it was at night. And so when he shines his light, and I was at that time I was wearing a Notre Dame ring, and his, shine, his light shines on the ring, he goes, what school is that? I said, Notre Dame. Oh, you know Tim Brown? <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I love him. The Raiders are going to win the, the, the championship now because he's um, – and it just turned into this whole conversation about football. Then he let me go. Mm. And I still to this day don't know why I was pulled over. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, I mean, and so, I, so my first reaction getting back in the car was, whew, that went well. But then as I turned the car uh, on and, and, and started driving, well, I got mad. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a minute. What if that guy wasn't a Raiders fan? Right. What, what, if, what if I was just some guy from the neighborhood? What if I was just drive passing through? What, you know, what, why, mm -hmm. you know? And so, and so, and so I started to get angry as I, as, as I heard about the George Floyd situation and some of the others as well, you know, just brought back memories for me. And so, you know, we, even though, you know, we had great stalwarts like like Dr. Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. you know, who literally gave his life for the cause of ending racial injustice. We still have a long way to go uh, in our country and in our world. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens to you. Yeah. I mean, you're from Guam and people just start speaking Spanish to you sometimes because <laughs> they think you're Hispanic. Yeah. Like, that's, that's ignorance. Yeah. It's prejudice. I mean, I think a lot of us have that type of prejudice. We're not necessarily racist. Right. Because okay, here's the difference. Racism is prejudice or discrimination, but the, the added piece to that is you believe that your race is superior to the other person's race. Yeah. So the reason, so, so typically most people are prejudiced because of ignorance, mm -hmm. but racist is taking prejudice to another level. It's saying that I, my race is superior to your race. That's why I'm treating you with prejudice, with discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we have to, you know, make that distinction. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point because I think, you know, there's so, we're just so emotionally charged as a country right now. And like you said, um, your experience with, uh, discrimination and or racism is going to be different. That's going to look different for everybody else. And so what that does is it triggers that emotion. Right. And so it kind of, um, you know, people have to be able to process that through. And so if people aren't stepping back, especially our, our brothers and sisters out there who are, uh, you know, faithful believers and, and Christians out there not stepping back from that and be able allow yourself to at least think objectively and rationally and not just put yourself there, um, even though you need to allow yourself to feel in order to heal, I believe. Um, but you can just see how emotionally charged we are. And and, um, and then we start to, depending on which side of where you are in all of this, you know, attacking the person, like you said, never. And I think that's part of the issue, right, is 
Um, it doesn't matter what kind of background you are. Like you said, you know, there's this thing called metanoia. I experienced it, you know, and I continue to, to experience that. And um, we pray that, uh, we're, you know, we pray that he, is, he, he had a conversion and that even at that very moment when he was experiencing right life being taken away from him, that he was asking for forgiveness and taking Christ in his heart at that moment. So um, we can hopefully see, you know, a, a brother in heaven, right? Because we're all striving to get there, but I, but I think it's it is a point where I th- I see that a lot in our country today, Deacon. Where um, rather than looking at the merits of an issue or an argument, we're going right after the person because if we disagree, right? So this preconceived notion, maybe it's a stereotype, maybe it is racism, right? Outright racism, whether it's intentional or not. Um, we we attacking the person has been our problem. As a, as a society, right, as we're going right after and not seeing each other as a dignified, beloved child of God, right? Um, so, you know, that's, I, I think we're all kind of going through and still going through um, those different emotions, right? And I think some more than others, some less than others, and now we're just, uh, we're, we're seeing that all, uh, again, unfold before us. And so what do we need to do, my brother, to speak life into kind of this culture of death, into this situation, you know, being a light in this present darkness. What can we offer our, our listeners out there? Well, you know, Jesus says that that uh, we are the light of the world. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, don't leave your light under a bushel basket and hide it because no one can see it. You know, put it up on the hilltop. So when people see that light, they see the good works that you do and they give glory to God. <laughs> that's the thing mm-hmm. you know uh, when we when we see the vision of the blessed virgin mary in revelation chapter 12 you know verses 1 and following it says that um the the, the blessed virgin mary has the crown of 12 stars around her head uh the the clothes with the sun the moon under her feet mm-hmm. now the moon you know back then they thought it was its own light source because they had remember they said the sun rules in the day and the moon rules at night Mm-hmm. not understanding that the moon just reflects the light of the sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Mary you know, has the moon under her feet because she's not the sun, but she reflects the light of her sun. Mm-hmm. And, and we're supposed to do the same thing. We're supposed to reflect that light and put it up on that hill so people can see it. So we have to learn to be light. So there's a couple of things we need to do. I think the, the main thing we need to do, we need to love much more deeply then we need to lead with love. Mm-hmm. Paul says, preach the truth in love. So to break down the walls of prejudice and ignorance and discrimination and racism, we have to start with love, right? First John four sixteen said, God is love. And he who lives in love lives in God and God lives in him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when we celebrate Trinity Sunday, the whole point of Trinity Sunday is not try to figure out Divine perichoresis, divine perichoresis of circumcision. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the point. The point is that the fact that God, uh, in His Trinitarian love, is inviting us to share life with Him. He's inviting us into a relation of intimate, personal, loving, and life-giving communion. So it can't be the superficial love that we see in the culture today. Mm-hmm. I love my dog. I love my house. I love my car. Like we love things, mm-hmm. and we start to treat people as things. Mm-hmm. And so we start to quote unquote, love them as we love things, but we need to love people as, as God loves us. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the switch that needs to be flipped in order to really start make systemic change. And it has to start with individuals. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 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 we have to be very, very careful throwing around terms like institutional racism, right? Okay, Because, because racism, it's, it, 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 it starts with the person. It's a personal sin. 
Mm. Now, if enough people in the same sphere of influence have that uh, have that kind of thinking, then institutions become rich. But it's, it's those individuals that make up the institutions that are the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to start. Like the, 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 when I was a kid, there was a song, um, "Let There Be Peace on Earth." And, and and the verse said, let it begin with me. Mm-hmm. So it has to start, as you said, John, so beautifully with your own metanoia, with your own conversion, with your own recognition that, you know what, I may have some prejudice because when I was growing up in a kid watching TV, the only time I saw black people were slaves or prostitutes or pimps mm-hmm. or, or, or butlers or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I remember my dad kept telling jokes about, you know, black people and or about Hispanic people, about this uh, Native Americans, stuff like that. And I just thought it was funny. I didn't really think. But see, that kind of stuff starts to sink into your psyche. Mm-hmm. You know, and it may not even be, um, you know, you may not even know uh, uh, overtly that that those things are influencing you. Mm-hmm. It's like, for example, you see a Muslim woman wearing a, a hijab or a Muslim man wearing a kufi. You automatically think, oh, they got a bomb. They're going to kill us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, where do we get these? We get it from 9-11. We get it from news media. We get it from all these things. So we need to filter a lot of that stuff out. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't watch the news. Mm-hmm. I don't watch television news. I don't watch. I don't do a lot of social media, like streaming, looking at all these news stories, because it fills your head with all this junk. Mm-hmm. And when you fill yourself with junk, there's no room for God. Amen. You know. Um, so I want to leave myself as open and available to listen to God's voice and not to the voice of an anemic culture that doesn't know how to love deeply. The love I'm talking about is like um, uh, uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Mm-hmm. Uh, God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Seeing the 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 uh, the spirit of God's in the person standing in front of us. That's what Mother Teresa did so well. Mm. That's what the venerable uh, Father Augustus Tolton did so well. Mm-hmm. To see God, even though they, he, they, uh, she saw people that were dying, AIDS, leprosy, uh, scurvy and all these different diseases. So when she saw that person, that people would just walk by and hold their nose. Mm-hmm. She saw Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a great, what a great, what a through racism. Mm-hmm. He, he, he. The person that was uh, that was slandering him, he met them with love mm-hmm. and kindness and patience and understanding because he really wanted to look. I'm just like you. I'm just, what, what's the problem here? He really tried to understand, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that's the approach that I think we need to have. And yeah. we're going to make a start in making a dent in this thing. Yeah. And I think you bring up, a, you know, such a great point as we try to, to again, encourage our listeners out there is, um, you know, there's a lot of things we can't change, right. In the sense of things outside of your control, it doesn't mean we don't try. Um, but, what makes you think you're going to change somebody else if, if you're not working on change yourself? And I think that's that's a key thing is where, you know, so people should be <clears throat> self-reflecting and looking at where there may be some challenges and issues with yourself and how you've how you've been either part of the problem or part of the solution. And then what you can do to moving forward. Right. Specifically, as you pointed out, to be a light of the world. You know, I think St. Mother Teresa is one of the greatest examples because she dealt with the throwaway culture, literally, right? That these people are left to die in the gutters. They were, nobody cared about them, right? So they didn't see them as dignified human beings. So she would deal with those people and to restore their dignity, not in the work she was doing, but the fact that they were, they were all children of God in her eyes. And she saw Christ in each one of them. And I think that, you know, to approach people in that sense, she could see beyond the physical aspects of where, you know, and put yourself in any one of those situations where people were literally their flesh was right 
fallen off of them, right? And those, you talk about leprosy and things of that nature. She saw beyond all of that, right? Her order saw beyond all of that because they saw Jesus Christ in each one of them. And I think that as we, we live in now, for the first time in our American history, right, a, a godless nation, right, where most people don't identify as Christian or with God, we're seeing the effects of that because then now we're left to man's own self-reliance. And now it's whatever I think of you um, or not of you, right? And so that's where the, the, you think about the root of that, that, that sin of racism is where when you can place somebody less than you, we think about Christ, it's like, you know, um, he, he came to serve, right? He put him, he put himself, he, oh, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make our hearts unto like, right, like yours. And I think that's the part where we need to, to kind of get ourselves back to that. So where are you in that situation for our listeners out there, right? As far as being that type of light and leading with love, because we know, um, you know, per- perfect love casts out all fear. So in this world right. right now where our brothers and sisters, Deacon, are, I mean, we were already fearful, fearful because of the pandemic, right? We're on the shelter in place. We're on a, a you know, complete lockdown. And, and, and now we're fearful of our lives and fearful of our livelihood and fearful of now of each other. And the devil's having a field day out there. And um, it's because we've, we've rooted out God. Um, and so we've got to start to restore that in the, in the culture. Um, any last parting words, Deacon, as we try to encourage our listeners, as you know, it's been great to, to be back with you again for another episode, but what can we do? Anything you can say um, to, to final words for our, our listeners out there and being a light? Yeah, so I'd say, I would say two things. One, I think the Catholic Church has the best um, systematic approach to, the, to social justice principles. Mm. You know, this is something that's been part of the Catholic ethos since the beginning, um, so these these beautiful uh, principles, seven principles of Catholic social justice. If we take those principles, which include um, seeing people in the image and likeness of God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it talks about a culture of life. It talks about uh, solidarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are those are some of the principles. If we combine those principles with the Beatitudes, mm-hmm. right? so the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five through seven is the Sermon on the Mount. If we take if we pull the Beatitudes out of there and combine them with Catholic, Catholic social justice principles. So it's not where these, it's just ideas that we, and we, and we study them. No, parishes need to sit down as a group, as a community, and go through these principles and connect them with the Beatitudes. Okay, how can peace start with me? Recognizing my own prejudices, recognizing my own insecurities, mm-hmm. recognizing my own biases, and then, um, con- going through that metanoia conversion experience using the principles of Catholic social justice and um, the Beatitudes while hearing someone's story. Mm. Now, how many times at Mass, you know, you have the, like I said, you have the, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the Black Catholic Mass or the Hispanic Mass or the uh, Vietnamese Mass. And then that's, the, and you, you, of course, you don't go to the mass because it's not your language, but you don't even think about the other people that are going through those masks. What about if we all got together and, and just started having a conversation, just having a dialogue? Mm-hmm. And, and as you're sitting down, you, you, you have these stereotypes of your persons in, the, in your mind about this person, but as you talk to them and you apply these principles of Catholic social justice to the Beatitudes, do you recognize, you know what? 
that person's not much different than me. Mm-hmm. We got kids about the same age, and we're going through the same issues with our kids. Wait a minute, they're they're, they're not much different than me. Then bam, then those walls start to fall. Then those walls start to break down. That's that's the first thing I would say. Uh, the second thing I would say is is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know the Samaritans and and the Jewish they were some, they were somewhat related, but um, the, the Samaritans were considered outcasts. Uh, you know, by by the Jewish people, and that's why when Jesus tells the the parable, you know, the the the, the priest walks by, the Levite walks by, doesn't even give the guy a second look. And here's the thing, John, they didn't even go get help. Mm. If they didn't want to help, they could at least got someone else to help or called the authorities or something. No, they just left the guy there. Mm. Then the Samaritan, who is considered, you know, like a like I said, an outcast, not even part of the community, sees the Jewish person there, picks them up cares for them, brings them to the end, pays for their expenses. I'll take care of the rest on the way back. And so I tell our brothers and sisters who are not people of color, um, you know, when they say, uh, well, what can I, I don't know what to do. What, what can I do? Be the Samaritan. Mm. <laughs> Be the Samaritan. D- don't don't just walk by the George Floyds. Don't just walk by the Amon Arberries. Just don't walk by, you know, the, the people that, that are affected by this and say, that's not my problem. Because mm-hmm. when you do that, you're no better than the people who walked by those auction blocks during the time of slavery, and they saw a family literally being ripped apart. One slave owner in one state was taking the children, another one was taking the wife, another one was taking the husband, they're screaming and there's and there's crying, and you just cover your kids' ears. Don't listen. This is not our problem. You just walk by and do nothing. Mm. You know, you can't do that. Again, that's living in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And like I said, John, we have to be the light. Mm-hmm. And that light starts with me. Like, like, it, it's like Easter vigil. Mm-hmm. The, the Easter candle is lit. And, but the church is pitch black, and then one by one, as the candle makes its way to the altar, everybody starts lighting their candles, and it gets lighter and lighter and lighter. And that's the effect we can have. And I, I'm telling you, if it starts with us in the Catholic faith, we can be the most effective force for change in this country and in this world if we have the courage to be that light in the darkness. Amen. I could not have said it better than myself. And I think I just pictured, you know, the the Easter candle and, you know, being Lumen Christe, right? When we think about the light of Christ right there, and then if we allow God to work in us and through us that way, boy, right, how we can help this world heal. And like you said, Deacon, I think we have the 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 greatest foundation and the greatest system to fix the problem that we're hoping to address, right? And so our brothers and sisters out there, we just thank you for joining us. I know we've been been away, both Deacon and I have been busy and busy is an understatement, especially when it comes to Deacon Harold's <laughs> life. But uh, uh, but even for myself, we thank you for joining us and we hope to try to, to get a little bit of regular vacadence, whatever regular ends up being. So, um, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, so no promises there, but we just hope that you, um, you you're staying safe with you and your family. And um, but also, you know, um, using this time to, to grow in your, your relationship with God, because you're not going to be able to be a light if you're not going to the light himself. And so um, go to the light himself, go deep, and let's, let's, let's be the change that we want to see. So Deacon, without further ado, will you mind giving us your blessing? Sure, man. Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I'll see you next time, brother. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Sons of Thunder with the dynamic Deacon and the Man on Fire. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe, and find out more at deaconharold.com and johnsablon.com. God's peace.